Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Paddock Pass podcast. We are recording in Vienna, midway between Brno and Spielberg in Austria, and we have just witnessed the 10th round of an exciting um, MotoGP championship uh, that was filled with all the intrigue and drama that uh, that we come to expect of uh, Grand Prix racing these days. And it's worth saying that this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Suzuki and the all-new Suzuki GSX-R1000 Superbike. My name is Neil Morrison uh, of Crash.net and Road Racing World, and with me today is the... Uh, omnipresent David Emmett of motomatters.com uh, suitably fashioned in his dirndl for the uh, the Austrian Grand Prix that lies ahead this weekend. Uh, hello David, how are you? Hello Neil, uh, thank you very much. Yes, uh, still got my dirndl from last year. Um, uh, I haven't splashed out on a new one yet because we've only just arrived in, in Vienna so uh, uh, we shall, um, uh, that'll, ha- that'll have to wait. It was drama, it was, uh, the, it was, a, it was a very, very dramatic uh, weekend of Renault. There was lots of things happened. Yes, exactly. Stuff happened. Stuff uh, happened a lot. Shocker. Yes, exactly. And uh, as has kind of been the case in so many races this year, so many race weekends, uh, the weather had uh, quite a big part to play. Um, we had another uh, flag-to-flag race, uh, the first one this season, if uh, my memory serves me right. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, cue two men looking towards the sky <laughs> and checking their memory. Uh, but uh, this obviously had a, had a huge influence on the, on the result, on the race. Um, and in some ways, the, the race was decided after the third or fourth lap. Um, and not for the... F- Assen. Yes, but it wasn't. We didn't see everyone come in. We only no, saw a few riders coming. That's in. true. Yeah. That's true. I take it back. Yeah, um, but yes, basically, um, as we've come to expect in recent flag to flag races, Mark Marquez caught uh, the opposition with their pants down and uh, took full advantage of the of the conditions and used them very much to his advantage. He did indeed. He just seems to have uh, something extra. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, it, it's almost automatic, right? Okay, if, if it's going to be flag to flag, we might as well write Marcus down. Anyway. But Marcus had the pace all weekend anyway, so uh, it, was, it, it wasn't that much of a, of a surprise. Exactly, yeah. When you actually look at the final results, it, you know, more or less the guys that were going to be in the running for the race finished all within the top six, you know. Uh, you had the two Repsol Hondas, two maybe Star Yamahas. Repsol Hondas were first and second, then Vinales and Rossi followed. Um, I think Crutchlow was fifth. And yeah, and Crutchlow, Crutchlow said he was fifth because he, he was watching uh, Danny Pedrosa because he was expecting Danny Pedrosa to win because Pedrosa had been uh, fast all weekend. So mm. the, 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 actual, uh, the actual results was, were, were, were no real... Uh, no real shocker, if you like, but the the, the way the results were, were produced were absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Now, is this a case? I mean, we saw Marquez last year at Saxman, for example. Um, I've seen various people say on Twitter that a lot of this was down to just luck rather than anything else. Um, is Mark just incredibly lucky in these situations? Um, what, what, what does he do to to stand apart from the rest? Well, I mean, it, it's two things. Yes, uh, um, I mean, the, there's the famous saying about, uh, uh, I forget, I believe it was some golfer or other, but uh, as I don't follow golf, I'm, I'm, I shall have to, uh, uh, someone else will have to look up who it was, but it was uh, the famous golfer who said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. There was definitely an element of luck. He, he went out on the soft, uh, wet tyres because, I mean, the, the track was very odd. The Moto 2, the Moto 3 race was started wet and uh, just got 
uh, well, the Mark III started started wet, and it, it sort of the track stayed wet, and because it had been quite cold, it had been very very hot on the Thursday and Friday, and then it's uh, the, the 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 temperature turned a little bit, so it was just it's just very very sort of, sort of odd conditions, and then the uh, Moto Two race started uh, started dry, and then it rained, and it won't, uh, and it was wet again, and then it started to dry out again, and the top half of the track was wet, and the bottom half of the track was was pretty much dry so it was really difficult to say what kind of conditions were were, were going and basically mixed conditions changing grip just feeling that limit of grip in every corner that's what mark uh, mark does uh, does best so um i think he was there was there was certainly luck involved in choosing the wrong tire and being forced to go in and change early but then uh, the, the sort of 95 percent of it is skill in being able to just bring brilliant in those conditions yeah um, it's also worth saying that there, it was expected to rain throughout the afternoon, so yeah. there was a chance of a shower um, coming some point later in the race. Uh, and yeah, it and it, it, yeah, it started raining immediately after the uh, uh, shortly after the podium ceremony. I think. Yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah, so when we were done the, the debriefs afterwards, yeah, uh, of, of course, was, because was, we were outside. Yes, it was uh, it was pouring with rain. So uh, in some respects, uh, Mark got lucky in that uh, in that little window. Um, you know, he adjusted to perfection, and I guess with Ducati, for example, um, we saw that Lorenzo and Delizioso, uh had they had to stay out and track longer on wet tires whenever it was drying out, and slicks probably would have been appropriate um, from the say lap two, lap three onwards. Yeah, um, the Ducati stayed out because they had anticipated perhaps a further shower, or they also anticipated uh, the track taking longer to dry out, and their spare bikes in pit lane, both Lorenzo and Dovizioso's, were with wet setup, and uh, it only became apparent you know, maybe the first lap or the second lap that they really needed to, to switch to a dry setup and dry tires. And uh, and the the mechanics had to take some time to, to get that done. Yeah, exactly the same thing yeah. happened to, to, to Jonas Folger. They, mm. uh, they had two wet bikes um, and... Uh, they they had to change they had to change from a, the 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 spare bike from a wet setup to a dry setup. Um, and you even saw the situation with Lorenzo, for example, pitting. I think at the end of lap four, yeah, um, there was a bit of confusion with communication. He received a dashboard message at the end of lap four. Basically, the Ducati team sent it too early. They wanted him to pit at the end of lap five, and yeah. he came in. His bike wasn't his second bike wasn't ready. He had to wait for it to uh, to be you know set up correctly and even then i think he exited the pit lane with a sort of semi-dry semi-wet setup some sort of compromise in the middle and that was his race ruined yeah and it was the same with Jonas Folger. he came in um supposed to but his bike wasn't ready so he was sent back out again for another lap and he basically did two pit stops he had a right he had a, a free ride-through penalty without deserving it if you like um so yeah but it's always a dilemma i mean it's always very very difficult uh, uh, actually deciding which how you're going to set your bikes up whether you're going to go with two uh, the same uh, two bikes which are identical uh or whether you're going to go with one wet and one dry bike exactly um do you think that marquez um had anticipated this all along uh, uh perhaps that's a good question i honestly don't know i think uh, obviously because what you what what the teams do is they sit down sort of about an hour before and they look at the forecasts and try and judge whether it's going to be wet or dry and if it looks like it's going to stay it's going to stay wet then uh, they'll put have their second bike uh, wet because if you fall off on the warming warm up lap or you fall off on the sighting lap or you crash on lap 1 
um, you can still get back to the pits and jump onto the same bike, and uh, and if the conditions are still uh, are still wet, you can actually make up. Uh, you you can at least try to make up ground. Whereas if the other bike the, the other bike is set up for dry and the, and the track's wet, then it's absolutely no use at all. And of course, everyone had their data from last year. Yeah. When, when when the track just didn't dry out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we basically had a, a, a race, a wet race, where it stopped raining. I think towards the start, or maybe even before the start. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was a twenty-two lap race, and uh, yes, it, riders certainly had to manage their wet tires, but uh, but they all lasted well. Some of the Ducatis perhaps didn't uh, from, oh, from yeah, memory, but, but uh, I mean, uh, but uh, uh, it went yeah you know, uh, full uh, distance. Yes, exactly. And last year the. Um, Last year, what, what happened was some people chose the softs thinking it's going to rain a bit more uh, or else if it doesn't rain, then what I'll do is I'll dive into the pits. And some uh, chose the mediums and the mediums lasted all race and the, uh, and the track didn't dry out enough for, for either the softs to keep working uh, or it, it didn't dry enough to, to actually go in and, and pit. And so they would have had to sort of like pit for another set of tyres. And um, uh, yeah, it was so I think... With that data, with that experience, that memory of last year, that swayed a lot of people's uh, decisions and uh, made them think, you know what, I'm going to go for uh, a, a wet and a wet. But the smart teams, I mean, you know, Marcus's team decided, OK, we're going to have a wet and a dry. Ross's team mm. decided we're going to have a, a wet and a dry. That that, that proved to be the, the, the smart choice. But it, is it is it always the smart choice? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question for sure. Um, I asked you whether Marquez had, had you know planned this all along because it was interesting. Someone messaged me on Twitter, uh, someone that had been watching uh, the Spanish television coverage on Movie Star TV, uh, and apparently Marquez's mother was uh, interviewed after the race, and she said that uh, I think on the second lap when Mark was just like falling down the order, I think he was maybe started the lap third or fourth, uh, and when they were going up Horsepower Hill, he was just dropping back. And, I think he was maybe back in like outside the top 10. Um, and she said that basically he didn't want uh, his rivals, the top guys in the, in the top 10, to, to see that he was pitting. Um, otherwise, they would have followed uh, either followed him directly in or maybe the next lap would have followed him in as well. Um, so it was almost as if he was trying to call their bluff. And then it's interesting speaking to Cal Crutchlow. He said he could see Marquez looking over his shoulder and almost letting him by, you know, nodding like you know okay get by and uh, Crutchlow said he knew something was up because normally when you pass Mark you're going to see his front wheel at the very next corner trying to you know skies back up the inside of you again so it was almost the case of Mark trying to trying to you know um, not play his hand in front of his rivals oh yeah possibly but it, it, I, I think also it's a question of as you say uh, he didn't want to play his hand in front of his rivals, but you have to play the hand that, you, that you're dealt. And he went out. He decided to go out on the on the software tower, which it is a given the amount of water was a, a rather strange uh, choice anyway. I mean, you, it, it basically means you're going to burn up your tire in like three laps anyway. So it was obviously he would have uh, he would have had to come in to, to, to swap bikes early, uh, or else hoped for a, uh, a, a, a hope for a shower. But yeah, was this luck? I'm not sure it was. Um, I think there's a little bit of luck, but sometimes when you're... It reminds me of the of the period when uh, Valentino, uh, Valentino Rossi in his early 500 MotoGP years, um, he, even when things went wrong, um, it would always work out, play out in his favour. So he'd... Um, 
uh, he would crash and injure himself, but um, uh, still managed to finish fifth in uh, somehow. Or he'd, he'd he, if he crashed out, then uh, Biagi or Jibinau would also manage to cra- uh, crash out at the same time. So it just seemed everything seemed to go uh, seemed seemed to, to go his way. And I think this Marquez in a, it seems to be in uh, the same point in his career where um, uh, uh, yeah, if he. Uh, if he flips a coin three times in a row, it's always going to come up whatever way it is, just uh, just purely by chance. Yeah, yeah. There's that story of Rossi, I think, in 2001, that in the race at Brno, uh, Wasp flew into his helmet in the mm. closing laps, and rather than sting him, he just opened the, his visor up and it flew away, and that kind of, you know, was uh, quite symbolic of just how yeah, nothing could really go wrong yeah. from at the time. Um, it's interesting. Obviously, uh, Mark timed his pit stop to perfection, but then he had to leave pit lane on a not a totally dry track on slicks. Um, almost like a repeat of the the Saxon Ring in 2016 last year, where you know he scored that crucial win, which really, um, you know, maybe putting one hand in the title would be too strong a, a way to to phrase it, but certainly put him in the driving seat. Um, here he left pit lane and did his usual act of getting heat into the slick tires on a cold track, um, and you know just rode quite brilliantly. Um, yeah, I mean, you talk about luck. The other thing is because, as I say, ninety-five percent of it is skill, and the the, the skill is that uh, he can get his tires up to temperature really, really quickly. So uh, he's not afraid to go out on a track which is much, uh, uh, much damper, much sketchier than uh, than other riders would uh, would want. So I think a lot of riders stayed out longer just because of the just because of the track conditions they didn't want to take the risk of maybe crashing by going out earlier and not being able to get their temperature their their, their tires up to, mm. up to temperature there's been in the past i think um uh, i think maybe saxon ring that said that uh, saxon ring last year that i forget which one it was uh, which rider it was but uh, a couple of riders said you know they went out early on on slick tires and they just the, because you have to be incredibly aggressive to, uh, you have to be even more aggressive almost because the track is so cold to actually get heat into your tyres uh, uh, until they grip. But you, you know you're doing that on a track which is dampened, um, uh, where the tiniest little sort of uh, l- 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 the tiniest tiniest area will put you on the ground. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that you, it was like last year whenever Paul Spargaro pit at the same time as Marquez at the Saxon Ring. Yes. The ex- more or less together and Paul trying to do the same thing that Marcus did just crash lost the front and you know it all yeah, went it all went exactly to and, and that's the difference that's the difference between the two Mark wins because he can do that Mark wins because uh, he can judge those conditions he can manage those conditions to, to perfection whereas there are others I think um, uh, Lorenzo said afterwards that one of the problems or one of the reasons that that, that um, uh, he didn't think he would he would have been able to, to challenge Mark anyway uh, whatever the conditions was because uh, you know Mark can do that Mark can um, uh, can go out and get everything up to uh, get everything up to speed straight away whereas what um, uh, what, what Lorenzo needs is a couple of laps to sort of like feel his way out and understand mm. the conditions. I think that's true of a lot of riders. I think Rossi said that as well, and yeah. he admitted that the Yamaha perhaps isn't the best bike to to generate heat in the tires in those conditions. Um, whereas the Honda, obviously, being you know a very um, a bike that's designed to break as late as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bike that you have to read, that you have to ride aggressively sure. to get it uh, to get it to work, and so you naturally you know to, if you want any speed, then you're riding it aggressively and you're putting heat in the tires and. And the Honda riders are always uh, complaining about the the, the 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 front overheating. So really, sort of, you know, a, a cold track is almost uh, is almost a, 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 an extra benefit to, uh, to them. But it was interesting because we went down to talk.
talk to Joe Roberts um, after the Moto2 race because Joe Roberts is, um, has replaced Johnny Hernandez in the AGR team. And, mm. and uh, Californian. In, yeah, yeah, Calif- a young Californian, eight, I think 18-year-old uh, Californian. He's a, a talented, charming young man. He was, the, when the, the, the Moto2 race was uh, red flagged because of rain, and um, he was, I think he was 29th at the time. Uh, the, it was restarted. It was a six-lap race, and he got up, up from 29th to 10th, which is uh, quite remarkable. But he was because it was sketchy conditions. He was he was saying, you know, uh, that was um, he's training in dirt track, which helped. Yes, exactly. And you know, you're basically dealing with uh, when you're doing dirt track racing, you're, you're dealing with an ever-changing track uh, where grip is different from one lap to the next, and um, obviously you're managing. A lot of emphasis put on throttle control, um, and and the bike moving around, getting used to the bike moving around. Exactly, and you know if there's there's one uh, method of training that Marquez always talks up, it is uh, it is dirt track indeed. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, so I've just got the timing sheets in front of me here, and it's it's interesting looking at uh, the sort of lap times that riders were doing at certain points of the race. And um, we can see that Mark's first flying lap after he came out of uh, pit lane, lap four, uh, was in the one minute fifty eight. And if we look at the times from uh, Danny Pedrosa finished second. Vinales third and Rossi fourth. Uh, Pedroza and Vinales pitted on lap f- at the end of lap four, uh, but it took them until lap seven to get into the 58. So that kind of shows you just what a great job that uh, the Marquez was doing. He was almost three laps ahead, well, two laps ahead of Vinales and Pedroza, and uh, yeah, and uh, one lap ahead of Rossi by the time Rossi came out of the pits. So. Yeah, and also he was doing 58s while the others were doing 210s. And so yeah. um, uh, he was, you know, I think in the space of a lap, a, a lap and a half, he gained 15 seconds, yeah. uh, which is just outrageous. And the other thing you have to remember is, but the, the track had, had improved vastly by by lap seven. There was a, the, you know most of the water had disappeared from the track, and so it was much easier to actually do uh, a fifty eight rather than a, uh, a a two minute whatever. So it's not just that um, you know Rossi manages to do on a you know, Rossi or or Pedrosa or whatever could match Marquez's lap times. The, they were uh, they were matching his lap times once the track was were, were, was much better. Marquez was able to do these lap times on a track which was really still very very sketchy. Yeah, not for the first time we're uh, we're speaking of Mark praising him in uh, in these conditions for sure. Um, now we were having uh, dinner on Sunday night in the, the track restaurant that's uh, just uh, outside the paddock, and we saw um, it was quite interesting because sat next to us was the the entire uh, Repsol Honda team, Mark side of the garage. Mark was obviously in the middle there with his dad and his mechanics and things like that. And um, it's not so common to see you know riders eating with their entire team. And I think Mark does this most most nights of uh, you know when he's in a racing paddock. Um, yeah. There the definitely seems to be a, a sort of a bond there with with his crew, um, with his team that maybe not every other rider has. And you you have to say that in these kind of situations. In these races where communication and understanding of what the rider is going to do and what the crew is going to do uh, is so vile, you know, this can, this can only be another um, strength that, uh, that Marquez has in his armory. That's a really good point. I mean, the relationship in the pits is you you cannot overstate how how important it was. I think it was um, uh, Jonas Folger said at the start of the Bruno weekend. Confidence is everything in racing. Um, it really is, and Marquez really needs this whole structure around him uh, because when he first came up to um, Moto uh, GP, um, he I think he was allowed to bring like half of his Mo- of his Moto Two team, 
um, and he was given three, uh, you know, three three Honda people to look after him. Mm, um, Stoner's uh, crew yeah, from the year before, right? Exa- yes, yeah, exactly. Um, but after 2013, um, he told Honda, "I want the rest of my uh, want the rest of my crew," and he just basically replaced Honda Stoner's crew. And Stoner's crew have won a lot of championships and done uh, done some uh, truly remarkable work. There's nothing wrong with with anything they've done, uh, but. Um, so you know, Marquez wanted the people, the people he trusts around him. Uh, for example, one of the more interesting things I, I think about Mark is the fact that he never had a he never had a motorhome until the Sepang incident, where um, he used to stay in the GP rooms, which are these sort of like tiny little cubby holes um, uh, owned by the Nieto family. But when um, uh, the Nieto family took Valentino Rossi's side in the in the Sepang clash, um, then he split with them and got a, and got a motorhome. But he shares a motorhome with his brother. Um, it's not a, it's not a vast palatial uh, thing like some of uh, some other riders have. Um, he the reason he didn't he didn't have a motorhome was because he spent all of his time in the garage anyway. He was in the garage with the with the crew, and then they'd all go off to eat together, and then they'd go back to the garage, and he'd just be kicking around there, and then and then he'd go off to bed. So there was no there was literally no point in him having, um, uh, in in him having a motorhome because he had, uh, he never he never spent any time there. Where whereas other riders. At the end of the session, they will debrief with the crew, go back to the motorhome for a couple of hours, come back and eat, and then uh, uh, spend the evening in the in the motorhome talking to friends or whatever, watching videos, uh, uh, that sort of thing. So it's it's just a very very different. Um, uh, I want to say atmosphere. I don't think it's it's, it's a different environment. Dynamic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah, exactly. It's a different group dynamic. Mm. Um, uh, Marcus has created created a group dynamic around himself. Yeah, I remember I was writing a little bit about this at the end of last year, and I spoke to uh, Damia Aguilar, who works for a Catalan Radio, um, and he's been covering Mark really since he came into GPS, and knows a lot of his crew well, knows Mark uh, the Marcus family quite well as well, and he was saying that um, it really isn't a coincidence that. After, um, if you remember the race in Phillip Island in 2013, where uh, the Bridgestone tyres, there was a resurfaced track, um, the tyres in the Moto2 and MotoGP race, they couldn't last a full race distance, so riders had to come in uh, and, and swap bikes uh, for a fresh set of, you know, uh, fresh set of slick tyres. Um, there was obviously a bit of a mess up with Marquez yeah, and his te- team. Yeah, it was a sort of communication issue. Yeah, 10 laps, 10 laps they were allowed to ride max and they had to, and they had to come in um, uh, before the end of 10 laps. And yeah. uh, the Marquez's crew thought that 10, it was, uh, you could do 10 laps and then you, and then you could come in. Sure. And that was a really costly mistake. It pretty much opened the door for Jorge Lorenzo to come back into you know, play of the world championship in that respect. And, uh, you know, since then, Mark has just got his crew um, drilled in these kind of situations um, so that they basically have learned from from that mistake and, and we've seen pretty much from 2014 onwards that uh, they've been uh, you know untouchable really in these uh, in these circumstances so um, I think luck would be uh, a slightly churlish to suggest that, uh, that it's simply luck there's so many more things that go into um, you know this aspect of racing yeah I, I, I think Mark gets a little bit of luck but he's outrageously rewarded for the little bit of luck because he can exploit the conditions which that creates uh, to really yeah score a lot of points and, and, and take full advantage of it because you, you know end up winning races by 20 odd seconds absolutely okay great so uh, I think that brings uh, us to a close of uh, the first segment of this uh, episode of the Paddock Packers podcast. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back 
in the second part shortly. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Suzuki and the all-new Suzuki GSX-R1000. Featuring MotoGP-derived technology, the new GSX-R1000 1000 has variable valve timing for optimal peak horsepower without sacrificing any low-end or mid-range torque. The new GSX-R1000 also features advanced electronics, such as an inertial measurement unit, adjustable power output via the ride-by-wire, Suzuki traction control, and a twin-spar aluminum frame that is 10% lighter and more compact than the previous model. The new Suzuki GSX-R1000 also has aerodynamic bodywork that is both sleek and stylish. Be sure to check out the all-new 2017 Suzuki GSX-R1000 at a racetrack or Suzuki dealership near you. All right, so welcome back to the second part of the show. Uh, so, something interesting, well, a few interesting things happened in pit lane, obviously. Um, we were not in pit lane to, to sort of witness what was going on during the bike swaps no, and things like that because... Because you have to wear a helmet. Yes, exactly, <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, and a rather fetching helmet at that. Yeah. yeah, you have to basically come dressed up as like a, a member of uh, Devo, the old uh, sort of group from the, uh, the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, but there was some drama in that um, I think Andrea Iannone and Alice Spargaro came in to change bikes at the same time on the same lap. Um they were quite close together, um, and whenever our Spargo came in, changed his bike, his crew basically, Ian only was coming, his crew should have possibly, should have stopped him basically from leaving um, his kind of spot, and uh, he instead went out in front of Ian only. Ian only then hit, I think, a drain cover and saw Spargo coming out in front of him, pulled the front brake, lost the front, and uh, his bike slid into, I think, well, it didn't, I don't think anyone was injured, but uh, worryingly close to his Suzuki crew, also into his teammate Alex Rins' bike. Yeah, bent the uh, handlebar. Bent the handlebar off Rins' bike. Um, and that was just a, a little snapshot of something that, uh, you know, could have had, you know, much greater consequences. Um, we also saw a video, I think, yesterday, uh, that's Monday, um, a fan video, actually, of someone that was sitting in the grandstand opposite pit lane, and it was uh, of Loris Baz whenever he came in, um, and Baz didn't basically stop his Ducati sufficiently before he jumped off it uh, to hand it over, and he, he basically let go of his bike with too much speed, and, uh, you know, the bike just sort of gentle barreled into a mechanic that's maybe overstating it but it certainly hit him with enough force to knock his mechanic over mm. two incidents which were slightly worrying in terms of safety and i guess you know this kind of follows um the incident in argentina i think it was last year with uh, bautista he yep. lost the front of his aprilia and basically wiped out one of his uh, his uh, aprilia crew this was one point which uh, which someone made uh, to us i think danny oldridge made to us over the weekend the, when they researched the technical director Yes, but yeah, yeah, exactly. A MotoGP technical director, Danny Aldridge, he said when they resurface track, they don't resurface the, uh, uh, they don't resurface pit lane. Yeah. Uh, and so coming in very hot, having to brake, and you don't have the grip that you have out at turn one. And they race cars and they race trucks, and they're all going up and down the uh, pit lane, and the trucks are coming in and out of pit lane to uh, pick all sorts of um, uh, rubbish uh, uh, up. And teams are doing mechanical work on on bikes and cars and stuff. And so you the the pit lane is, um, it, in terms of grip, it's it's an absolute disaster, especially in the wet. Mm. And also the fact that riders probably, as they're entering um, to change bikes, their their mind is probably fully 
you know, fully focused on how they're going to switch, how they're going to jump over, how they're going to make the transition from their first bike to the second bike. And it's pretty hectic. Uh, let's, let's, let's be honest here. It's pretty crazy. So um, a few people raised, uh, raised the question about whether this is actually uh, the, safest, the safest means of, uh, of conducting uh, sort of a bike swap in, uh, in, the, middle of, uh, in the middle of a race. Um, David, what, what do you think? Um, do you think that uh, as it stands at the moment, um, the current rules are fine? Should there be some tweaking? Do you think it's, it's safe? Um, we've, we've heard that um, there's going to be some discussions with um, probably with the Safety Commission um, on Friday, uh, also possibly with some of race direction. They're going to discuss on Thursday whether they need to make some amendments to the kind of the, the pit lane procedure during a flag-to-flag race. Um, what's your opinion? Uh, well, my opinion is that uh, I think that the World Superbike regulations where you have a fixed uh, a fixed amount of time in the pits makes, um, uh, makes the most sense. Uh, because it's, uh, I think Alicia Spargo also suggested this. Basically, it means you know you have a set amount of time in the pits. It means you can go in, once you go into pit lane, you go a little bit slower. Uh, you can take your time. You don't have to leap from one bike to another. Um, you can uh, exit the uh, exit the pit lane a little bit uh, a little bit slower. Um, you talk a little bit about the World Superbike regulations. How do they differ from MotoGP? They differ in one way, in that um, uh, World Superbike only have one bike, and so you have to do they have to do wheel changes. Um, and because uh, the Ducati would have a an enormous advantage with uh, with a single sided swing arm, they they set a fixed amount of time for uh, everyone to be able to do uh, wheel changes. Um, it also means that the mechanics aren't rushing, really, really rushing to change wheels and then, um, you know, send someone out with the uh, brake pads not seated or uh, even worse, a brake line not completely uh, perfectly uh, perfectly connected or a, um, uh, you know, a bolt somewhere not uh, not correctly tightened. Um, it, working under that kind of pressure really, it, it, uh, it, it can create... Uh, mistakes, and so the best way to eliminate mistakes is to give everyone just enough time to uh, work a little bit more calmly and uh, make sure that everything's uh, secured. So you know that that's the background to the to the World Superbike rules. But what and, it, and, and basically, it, it the the sort of the the maximum, sorry, the minimum time that riders have to spend in pit lane in World Superbikes it differs from track to track because race direction take into account the different lengths of uh, of the pit lane and the the entry and the exit to pit lane as well, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, there are some short short pit lane. It's like getting a ride through at different tracks. Yeah. If you get a ride through, it's a, it's a pang. You can just completely forget about it because the pit lane itself is almost a kilometer and a half long. Uh-huh. Um, uh, whereas there are, there are uh, other tracks, Aston, for example, is not so bad at all. You actually come in quite quickly and um, and and uh, cut a little bit off. So uh, or same with Saxon Ring, for a very very short pit lane. Um, uh, Valencia is just basically the straight, so it's not very you know ag- again it's not particularly uh, huge. So you have to vary it with with each particular racetrack. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so Spargo was definitely an advocate of, uh, of yeah. this uh, in light of what happened on Sunday. Um, we also had a suggestion from Mark Marquez on, on Monday at the test uh, at Brno, uh, where he was suggesting that I think um, the four guys from each crew are basically in, in charge of you know manning uh, the, the bikes um, you know, and holding them, making sure they're in, yeah. in the right position and things like that. Uh, he was suggesting that maybe someone 
there should be an extra man, a fifth man, a lollipop man in some respects, I think is what yes, he said. He, yeah, he called it a lollipop man. Which would be like uh, like we see in Formula One pit stops, a guy with uh, basically a lollipop that, that stands in front of the bikes and he only raises that whenever he sees that there's a clear pit lane, there's, you know, sufficient space for the rider to come out. And, um, you know, that is almost taking the pressure off other mechanics that would be otherwise engaged in keeping the bike upright or, or whatever. You know, this uh, this fifth guy would be just looking at the, the pit lane and making sure that the coast is clear as such. Um, would that be something that could work? Or Well, for, as, uh, as our friend and colleague Peter McLaren pointed out, of course he wants to keep the current system because it allows him, uh, he has a huge advantage in being able to leap from one bike to, to another. He can do that in perhaps half a second quicker than anywhere else. And so he's not going to give away any any kind of advantage he can get there um but i think uh, I, I i don't like the idea because i think um uh, i think you've got another another body in pit lane they're trying to clear mm. people out of pit lane you've got another another body in pit lane and where does the mechanic stand with a with a lollipop he could uh, he's likely to end up standing in front of uh, the the entrance to uh, for uh, for another rider, so it's just I I, I really don't think see see it as a benefit. I th- uh, I, I really don't see it as a benefit to anyone but Mark Marcus, which is um, uh, makes it unsurprising that um, that Mark should uh, should, uh, should suggest it. Okay. What about what? What about you, Neil? Where yeah, do you no, stand I, on this? Yeah, no, I, I think the superbike thing is a good compromise um, because I do like the uh, I do like the flag the flag scenario i think it adds like a great deal of of randomness uh, of strangeness it kind of shakes things up a little bit and um you certainly see it different i really love to see the different kind of like tactics and the means of communication and you can really see which teams are well drilled and some which maybe you know lorenzo for instance you know he's obviously not been with that team for so long and you, you saw on sunday that there was that communication issue that's quite interesting you know whereas marquez has been with this these guys for a long time and you can see that they're all on the same wavelength this adds a new kind of aspect to, to racing that you would maybe wouldn't otherwise have in just a you know a 40 minute shootout in the dry um so i think you know the flag to flag thing is is cool um yeah i wouldn't want to see 18 races of flag to flag but 16 but races and two flag to sure, flag races got one thrown in every year or maybe two um you know you, you're almost guaranteed to have you know a bit of a shake-up of results yeah. and, and it was it was almost a surprise that the results at uh, Brno were exactly the, the results that you might expect if it had been dry mm, exactly because if you look at the last couple of of flag to flags like uh, Mizano 15 or, or yeah. Saxon Ring last year uh, the, the podium was slightly upside down uh, in some respect Mizano in particular anyway yeah um but yeah I, you know I do think it's a it's a little bit of concerning when you see you know guys losing the front trying to come into pit lane and as someone said you know if there's a if there's a mechanic sat there and you know a bike is is coming towards you at that speed there's going to be a couple of broken legs there at, at the very least um so yeah I, I like the the sort of idea of the world superbike minimum time thing um and i think you know just maybe even even if it gives riders an extra say 15 seconds um you know there's not going to be that same sort of scrambling you know riders could actually you know come in and not be heavy on the brakes lunging from one bike to another could actually get off at one bike the next I think that would be a that would be a good idea. Yeah, um, it, it would actually it would also slow bikes down in the pit lane, which is a uh, which is a good idea. I mean, you know, a, a, a lower a lower um, uh, speed limit in pit lane for flag flag races yeah. would be a uh, would again be a, a good idea. But um, I, I forget. I think it might have been a, a Spargo again who said if you've got 
uh, a fixed time, then you can, you know, you would come in and you might leave quite quickly, but you would ride very slowly up towards pit exit. Yeah. Um, because, and that would give you just, and try and time it as perfectly as possible uh, to, 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 to get your exit right, to get to, to sort of launch yourself out of there. Um, uh, and because everyone is moving that little bit more slowly, it's much easier for people to avoid each other. And, you know, the people are, at the moment, people are racing in pit lane and you're not supposed to, uh, to race in pit lane. Absolutely. Uh, Valentino Rossi had a suggestion as well. He did, yes, which was to what for Sunday's race? You yeah, mean? For, yes, yeah, for, which was obviously the start of ten ten minutes later. Yeah, uh, yeah. Funny how he suggested that whenever he was <laughs> <laughs> the person, one of the one of the riders that misjudged it, perhaps the, more than anyone else. Um, you know, and not for the first time either. No. We could say, uh, yeah, Rossi suggested that we just waited for for ten extra minutes. But then, as we've already mentioned, I think in the first part of the show that uh, there was a pretty considerable shower. Uh, after the podium ceremony so if they delayed if they went about delaying the race 10-15 minutes then who's to say that you know would have had to be shortened yeah uh, we wouldn't have got the full 22 laps in so um, you know um, I think on a day where maybe there was one shower forecasted that, that would have made sense but uh, you know on this particular day when showers were forecasted throughout the afternoon yeah and also we don't know how fast the track was going to dry up I mm. mean it, it, in hindsight you would say yes you it would have been better to wait um, uh, wait 10 minutes but in hindsight you do everything perfectly yeah sure yeah and at the time it could have taken 15 20 maybe 30 minutes to, yeah for the exactly and so, how long do you wait yeah exactly with tv companies uh you know biting their nails and uh and looking, for some, looking for some action in that live slot that they've uh, uh that's right the, the boss of sky italia phoning carmelo Espalator and telling him <laughs> exactly how many millions he's he, uh, he spent this year on tv coverage give me my damn race yeah yes exactly Okay, interesting. Um, so, yeah, as we said, we we heard on on Monday at the the test uh, that race direction may be um, discussing some alternative ideas for how to make this um, kind of bike bike swap and, and pit lane thing a little bit safer. Um, so there'll probably be more to come to this in the coming days. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's uh, that's it for the second part of the show. Uh, we're going to be back for part three in just a minute. David Emmett here. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, please remember to leave us a review and rate us as it really helps other fans find the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, welcome back to part three of the show of this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast, which is covering uh, the Grand Prix of the Czech Republic, round 10 of 2017. Uh, we've discussed a little bit the, the race and uh, whether we think the flag-to-flag uh, the -flag, uh, situation in MotoGP needs to be tinkered with, altered slightly. Um, any eagle-eyed observers uh, that were watching uh, free practice on Friday uh, would have seen quite an interesting uh, technical development um, down in the Ducati garage, we saw Jorge Lorenzo leaving pit lane with, uh, I don't know, how would you describe it? We, we saw um, a sort of aerodynamic feature or a, a new fairing that uh, they debuted, uh, well, basically only in public at, uh, at preseason test in Qatar, uh, which was called the Hammerhead. I don't know, what would you go, what would you call this one, Dave? It's, uh, it's, it's quite unruly, quite... It's, yeah, yes. Definitely radical. Yes, yes. You would call this one the Ferengi if you were a complete um, Star Trek gig, but... Um 
Uh, I'm sure uh, many people won't be. It's no, but it, it's, it's, it's ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's um, uh, it, it difficult. It's difficult to, to to describe. Again, we've got sort of like two large loops, um, uh, sort of on the side. Uh, the interesting thing was that we saw um, uh, different packages from Lorenzo and from uh, Danilo Petrucci, who also had it. But then we found out that they're actually exactly the same package. Yes, exactly. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how this works, because uh, because they look different. Um, but uh, Ducati have definitely been quite clever in how they've approached this and how they've homologated the fairings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. Um, I think they got the idea from Honda because Honda have done have, uh, have done this first, or they they did this first. Basically, the rules are very clever. Um, uh, it, well, are they clever? I don't the interpretation know. of the rules. The interpretation of the rules yeah. is, is very clever. The the rules have to be a little bit have to allow a little bit of flexibility to uh, allow certain parts to be bolted on and off, such as um, uh, hand the. Um, uh, lever protectors and stuff. There are um, there's sort of a little bit of, of little bits of extra uh, which they put on to cover sort of partially cover the 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 area where the rider's hands are. Sort of like hand protectors, just uh, are, are sometimes for weather, sometimes for aerodynamic reasons, but but for whatever that that's been there forever. It's never really been uh, been a real problem. And so the Grand Prix Commission drew up the rules. They uh, allowed uh, removable parts. Uh, what a uh, what factories have to do is homologate a shape of fairing, um, uh, but they're allowed to uh, take parts away if they want to, uh, but only if they're removable, which means they have to be connected either by a rivet or by a um, uh, or by a screw or a bolt. Um, and Honda did this; uh, they've been racing one fairing all year, but it's actually their aerodynamic fairing, and, and from time to time, uh, I think Cal Crutchlow has actually ridden it uh, a couple of times mm-hmm. um, uh, with the aerodynamic parts uh, attached but it's very difficult to see because it's, it's quite subtle quite small and uh, the way it's painted makes it difficult to, to see so uh, basically what Honda did was at Qatar whenever they were homologating the fairing before the start of the season is they homologated it with the aerodynamic feature but what the feature was was bolted on and whenever they took that off it was just the standard fairing yeah it's almost as if they took the fairing with the uh, with the little sort of aerodynamic feature to Danny Aldridge and then when they got back to the garage they took the they took the uh, the aerodynamic feature off and went uh, and went racing uh, that seems to be the the way that they approached it, and so Ducati have seen this, and they are doing more or less the same sort of thing. They have uh, the fairing consists of three sections, or two, well, no, two sections, uh, an upper section and a lower section, and uh, they can uh, attach and remove the the the, the lower section uh, where as and when they want to use it. But um, when they uh, actually leave it off then it really looks like a pair of wings. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So it's quite clever in, in in one respect because they have the option of having uh, either the, the, the full kind of thing that, that uh, I think Petrucci, yeah. uh, Petrucci used on Saturday or what Lorenzo used on the Friday where it's just the upper part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's variation there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. There's a, a, a part which stretches um, down to quite near the bottom of the fairing, mm. and uh, they can take that off, and then it just leaves the top, which uh, sort of stops a, above halfway up the fairing, sort of thing. But it's much more, um, uh, it, it's much more pronounced. Yeah. Um, and we went to speak to Danny Aldrich about this to ask him about the legality of that, and he explained um, just how clever they had been. Yeah, he was saying that they had basically. Um, I think it was from the start of the European season, really. Um, because if I remember correctly, uh, both Lorenzo and Davizio were tested at Jerez before the race in Argentina, which was the second round of the season. Yeah. Um, and I think they they basically tried an altered version of the Hammerhead Ferry, in which they they tried in Qatar. And in Qatar, they noticed that the basically it was it was sacrificing too much top speed. They were losing too much, and obviously one of the Ducati's big advantages is the top speed. Um, so they, they didn't want to go with that. So they tried something different in the Hareth test and found that it really wasn't that much better. So they've been plotting since, I think, you know, when was uh, the Spanish Grand Prix? It was the end of April. Uh, they've been sending designs back and forth to, to Danny Aldridge, and he, you know, he was saying it was it was great that they were kind of in contact with him and and, and sort of using, um, he, you know, whether basically asking for his advice whether as to whether this was uh, yeah. this was legal or not. And he said the first few designs were just like absolutely no, you can't do that because it's far too extreme. So you know, we think that what we saw this weekend was crazy. You can only begin to imagine what uh, <laughs> Gigi had been drawing up in uh, in Bologna before then. Um, but I think it took about four or five designs from what Danny told us. Yeah. For them to eventually come to this, uh, exactly. this, this kind of conclusion. Basically, they, they would every few weeks they'd send him a design saying, "Can we get away with this?" Yes. And Danny would say, "No, but if you uh, uh, note that part is no good and that part is no good." Sure. And then they would come back a little bit later. Well, we've changed this. And they go, oh, right, well, well, you need. Danny would say, "No, no, no, it's still no good. You've got to take this bit away and they, uh, and this bit away." And they were basically like a uh, like an unruly teenager. They were seeing exactly how far they would go and bargaining their way or negotiating their way back to something which is barely legal um, uh, but very precisely within the uh, letter of the law whilst completely violating the uh, the spirit, spirit. Of it. yeah we, we, we saw in the Italian press that uh, Aprilia's sort of racing chief uh, Romano Albessiano was, was highly critical of this approach saying that you know Manufacturers need to, to follow the spirit of the of the rules completely, and uh, this was very much outside that. But then, um, you know, this is racing. And, and yeah, if anyone were to, if anyone were to follow the spirit of the rules, then it would be it would be a first. And um, there isn't a single factory on the grid which hasn't at some point uh, uh, treated the spirit of the uh, of the rules absolutely outrageously. So it's uh, uh, it's not really. Um, uh, but it, it, it's not really anyone's place to speak about yeah, it. It doesn't really exist in modern day no. professional sport, does it? Let's be honest. Uh, so, so yes, yeah, so Ducati are basically pushing the, the rulebook to the limit, but yeah. but they're still within it. Um, what were the results? Because uh, over the race weekend, we saw obviously Lorenzo from Friday using it. Uh, Petrucci had tested this at Mizano um, over the summer break. Um, and find it, find the results quite interesting, but he only tried it on Saturday and then didn't use it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think he used it in qualifying. And no, he, he didn't did, use it in qualifying. And, didn't and it, didn't use it in the race. Okay, uh, which suggests that you know he didn't find massive great gains with it, uh, or or perhaps the uh, the disadvantages outweighed the advantages. Uh, Lorenzo was different though. 
Yeah, Lorenzo. Lorenzo absolutely loved it. Lorenzo, um, uh, he talked about. He talks all the time about this front contact, about this feeling that he wants. These winglets basically put a little bit more pressure on the front um, uh, in a straight line. They keep the front wheel. Uh, uh, it keeps the front wheel on the ground, which makes it that that tra- that braking transition easier to manage um, uh, in the corner. It puts that little bit more. It changes the weight distribution a little bit more. Um, uh, well, it doesn't even really change the weight distribution. It just puts a little bit more pressure on the front wheel, giving you um, uh, a little bit more, a little bit more grip, a little bit more corner, uh, um, uh, a little bit more feel. Mm. Um, because one of the things with this year's Ducati uh, that was lacking after the the winglet ban was basically they weren't able to load the front tire yeah. as much as they were in the past. And you, and you see that in the you see that in the to- uh, tire choice. I mean, the Hondas always go with the hardest possible tire, mm, uh, and quite often the uh, the Ducatis will go with the with the, with the mm. softest tire, and that basically means they're not getting the load on the front to be able to get, to, to generate the heat in the harder in the harder compound tires. Sure, sure, and obviously Lorenzo, you know, his whole career has been very. Uh, a lot of emphasis has been placed on the front tire and yeah. this just seemed to give him that added little bit of feel that uh, you know that he'd been lacking until now and you know he openly admitted that he was sacrificing five six uh, kilometers an hour yeah I think we, when we looked at the uh, the, uh, the top speeds you could see that um, uh, Dovichoso was hitting three three eleven three twelve something like that and um, uh, Lorenzo was hitting three six three seven which is you know five six but in the end the, the, the you never really gain all that much in terms of top speed it's all about getting you, know, you gain in the corners and you gain coming out of corners yeah um, we also saw uh, uh, in the test after, after the race there was a test on Monday and we saw Yamaha come with a revised package yeah which also well in some ways uh, kind of mirrored what KTM are using where it's uh, I don't know how you would describe it it's like it. a wedge it's basically yeah. like almost like a thick winglet really yeah it is yeah yeah exactly it's not quite as uh, as sharp um, yeah you know with, with, with kind of quite um, sharp edges as, as a winglet had but uh, yeah as you say it's kind of like a wedge either side of the, the front part of the fairing that, that sticks out and then it had a little tiny bit underneath it there which yeah. uh, which actually looks a lot like the um, uh, uh, it has the same sort of gills you know the side pods which on the fairing which Yamaha has used previously during the year yeah and it was quite interesting to hear both the, the movie star Yamaha riders feedback uh, on Monday evening um, because Maverick Vinyal it's almost as if is, is it a coincidence that uh, that kind of both guys are saying completely the opposite things? Uh, you it, know, it, it does seem to be on every single subject. When once one one rider has spoken, the other one uh, seems to automatically take the opposite opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. almost as if there's something up. Yeah, almost as if there's uh, there's kind of a reason behind that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, it was interesting because Vinales said that this variant would be absolutely ideal for uh, Spielberg for this weekend's race. Um, you know, Spielberg's a track that basically has four, five very tight corners that require you to go down into first gear and then accelerate heavily up onto a, a long straight, that, you know, during which you'll engage fifth, sixth gear. Um, he thought it would be great for that um, because it will help with uh, help with the acceleration and, and, and so on. Uh, whereas Valentino Rossi thought that uh, it wouldn't be so good because it would sacrifice too much top speed. And, you know, obviously Spielberg, top speed is, is, a, 
is a big thing too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they are, in a way, they're both right. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it, it's true. It will help with acceleration, but it will uh, sacrifice top speed. And it just depends on whether you think uh, the acceleration is more more important yeah. or top speed is more important. And Valentino Rossi said to top speed is everything in um, uh, uh, Spielberg. Sure. Especially if they're already given, you know, a certain amount of kilometres away to Ducati. Yeah. yeah it, yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, everyone's giving uh, sure. kilometres away to Ducati. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, but the um, it, it was interesting. Sorry, just uh, another thing. This is actually going back to Ducati. David Silva tried the ferry on Monday. He didn't use it at all over the weekend. Yeah, um, and he was saying that, that basically, normally when you test a new part, whether it feels good or not, sometimes it doesn't matter because you can tell whether it's effective by looking at the lap time. Mm. And he said this. There's no clear indication on the lap time whether it's it, it's better or worse. Yeah, but, uh, but what he was saying was also like the, just looking at the lap time doesn't tell you everything about this because yeah. all right, you, you look at the lap time. The lap time's a little bit better with the with the fairing, but it costs. It takes so much more. It's so much more physical to actually um, get the bike around that uh, you might gain sort of a tenth of a second in the first ten laps, but then be completely destroyed from the mm. effort of actually having to hustle it around, and you're losing half a second uh, a lap. The, for, for the last 10 laps yeah. so the, the 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 net benefit it's more about how you're going to feel after 20 laps or 25 laps than it is about how you feel uh, uh you know just as a, on a single flying lap so it's almost like you could stick it on for qualifying and do and, and, and really feel the benefit of it um uh, but then take it off for the race because there's no way that you would actually be you you'd actually survive the, the battering that that trying to throw this thing around at 350 kilometers an hour is going to sort of take out of you and he's speaking from experience, of course, yeah. because last year at uh, Silverstone, I think it was, both he and Iannone, Silverstone, a very fast track with very fast changes of direction. Both of them were one, running winglets in last year's race. And I think Iannone crashed because he was getting crazy arm pump yeah. um, just from the, the added stress that it was placing on him, uh, you know, trying to move a bike with winglets around at, at high speed, with high changes, um, fast changes of direction. Tavisio said the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was that was quite interesting what uh, what he was saying in that subject matter. But, but Lorenzo, over the weekend, I remember you saying at one point that it just even if it's not making such a big difference in his head it is exactly and, it, and it's, exactly. it's kind of just given him this kind of fresh impetus we, we know that Jorge is usually sensational when it, after the summer break he he's, comes back from the summer holidays fully focused and he can usually string a load of really good results together and when we saw over the weekend that you know, had it not been for uh, for that kind of strategy uh, and the communication issues that he had in the race, he, he was on for a really good result. Yeah, I mean, he said he said after the race that if it had been dry, if it had been fully dry, um, uh, he felt he could have won the race. And that, I mean... Or fully wet. Or fully wet. Yeah, exactly. E- either way, he would have... Because he just, he had the, the, the confidence back again. And again, it doesn't really matter whether the... Um, uh, uh, whether the... Uh, fairings actually help in terms of physics. It's the lucky underpants thing. If he thinks it's from, uh, if he thinks it works, it works. It's as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting stuff about the aerodynamics. Uh, something that we're going to see, I'm sure, uh, in the coming weeks, and it'll be really interesting to see when the Ducati guys choose to, to fit it. And likewise, uh, this weekend in, in in Austria, we'll see whether uh, what Valentino and, and Maverick were saying after the after the test was just uh, rubbish, and they were trying to, to wind one another up. Or, or whether they were uh, they were being completely honest, um, that remains to be seen. It, so, basically, onto our final segment of the show, David, we're going to talk about our winners and losers from the race weekend, and we're going to start off with the uh, with the with the winners. 
Yep. And I think that we both have uh, two different choices here. Who would you select as the big winner from from the Grand Prix of the Czech Republic? Well, surprisingly, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Jorge Lorenzo because... What? The man that finished 15th in the race? I am going to go with the man who finished 15th in the race after a disastrous pit, uh, uh, pit change. What fresh hell is this you're bringing yes. to the show? It's because, I mean, we've had all year, all year it's looked like Lorenzo, has, he's had one or two sort of high points, um, but mostly it's been you know worry and, and not quite and you know I just can't get the feeling and all the rest of it and this was the first weekend where Jorge Lorenzo this was Jorge Lorenzo again this was Lorenzo saying I feel fantastic I feel good with the bike I can win um, I've got the confidence back in the front end and as soon as he's got confidence in the front end then he's going to be absolutely deadly um, I mean He's not going to be champion. There is no way he's going to be champion. But to me, this was a pivotal point for Lorenzo. This was uh, this was the race that turned the championship around. And yes, everything went um, uh, or anything went everything went to hell in a handbasket for him. But um, it's it. I still think he comes out of here with a huge amount of um, a huge amount of confidence um, and a bit, and self belief. Just believe. I think he believes. He truly believes that he's you know that he's sort of got the hang of the Ducati. There were all sorts of bits and bobs that he needed to figure out, and I think he's figured them out. And I think the uh, the confidence in the front end was the final piece of the of the jigsaw puzzle, and we we'll, and we will see a, a different uh, Jorge Lorenzo for the rest of the year. I could be wrong. It has happened in the past, but um, it, that's definitely the way it felt for me. Okay, that's interesting. Well, we've and, got we've got Spielberg coming up, obviously, where we saw Ducati one two last year. Yeah. Um, and Jorge was indeed fast again on the, on the Monday test. I think he was fourth at the end of the day and was yeah. really happy with how the day went, working on settings and um, you know. Yeah, he said he didn't put a soft tire to change the time. He mm. was too he was too busy. He was too busy to be to change the time. Of course. The riders always lie about that, but um, uh, that, at least that's what he told us. Okay, interesting. And your winner? Uh, well, I'm going to go left field like you, a uh, bunch of uh, in- esoteric gentlemen that we are, <laughs> cerebral uh, cerebral podcast that this is. I'm going to go with uh, Paul Espargaro and, uh, and KTM. Um, Which is a very good shout. Yes, because uh, over the summer break, um, we have seen KTM... Uh, absolutely not disgrace themselves in the first part of this year, put in very, very respectable performances considering the amount of experience they have in this championship, how much experience the bike has in this championship. We've been very impressed with the dedication, uh, the, the speed at which they're able to work and develop new parts and uh, new things. Um, that has been fantastic. What we saw at Brno was really, weather aside, the KTM and Paul Espargaro pushing the top ten, and, uh, and 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 you know doing it on, on merit, not really relying on luck to to do that. Um, we saw, I think, in free practice three or free practice four that he was you know more or less one second off the fastest time. Um, and this is around Brno, which is a two minute lap more or less, uh, just under two minutes. So it's a long lap, um, which means that you know times tend to be a bit further spread out. Um, Espargaro, Smith, um, Mikakali all tested at Aragon during the summer break. Paul Espargaro on Saturday was uh, had a video on his phone of all the new items uh, kind of lined up in his pit garage uh, for him to test. So, you know, just mind-boggling kind of amount of new parts that, that they brought there. 
And he really seemed to carry this momentum into the race weekend. And he was very, very unlucky not to uh, not to actually qualify for Q2. And that was in the dry. Yeah. Um, we obviously saw him get into Q2 in um, in, in the Saxon rank, I think, in, in Le Mans. But those were two sort of weather-affected days. Um yeah, I mean, he, he, he had the merit. He could have on the, in, in, in the dry. He could have got into Q two absolutely on on pace alone. Yeah, um, because he he missed May being able to the final fastest lap by about three seconds. He was he was two or three seconds too late across the line. No, he actually he crashed in Q in Q one. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, he lost the front um, because he I think he something happened. He ran off track early on in the session. Then he crashed. Uh, trying to you know make it up in the last lap, so, yeah. so that didn't really work out, and he was really peeved at uh, missing that out. Uh, but not the matter; he pitted in the same lap as Marquez at the end of lap two, and he actually ran off track as well when he got back out there. Uh, I think he ran off track when he was fighting with uh, with Jack Miller, and recovered, and then managed to pass a whole load of riders, and he finished uh, ninth at the end of it. Yeah, uh, which is really quite quite impressive. very yeah very very impressive. Yeah, ninth ninth place. Uh, really not too far behind his brother, Alicia Spargo, yeah. uh, ahead of two Suzuki's, ahead of one Aprilia. Um, very nearly could have been, you know, the best of the rest after Honda, Yamaha and Ducati, yeah. which is an astonishing achievement for the 10th race of the season. At some point, we shall have to have a chat about uh, about KTM because KTM have done um, such an astonishing amount of work and yeah. uh, and it's starting to be to pay off. Sure. And over the summer break, Pip Byer, who's one of the sort of, the you know, top names in the KTM sort of organization had spoken of the aim for the second part of this year was to get one top 10 that was it you know yeah that, well that right, was what right, they had to strive for right and, at the start of the season and they've already done it yeah, yeah exactly and I think Paul has been has been riding riding really really well yeah the um, bike really suits his yeah, really suits his style exactly so uh, yeah so Paul would be my big winner yeah. uh, from from this race weekend yeah okay, so what are losers now uh, David who was your big loser for uh for this race weekend, oh, well, my big loser for this weekend is almost everybody. <laughs> um, uh, generally, just the chaos in pit lane. Um, everyone is to blame there. There were so many mistakes. There were um, just there were there was a ridiculous amount of mistakes. I mean, going through them, um, uh, Lorenzo, um, the, 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 they get the dashboard messages working. It's homologated. They're allowed to use them. Uh, they send a message to Lorenzo, uh, but they send them less, uh, a message to Lorenzo basically about 20 seconds too early. So he comes into the pits too early and his second bike is, uh, isn't ready, isn't set up for him. Uh, and so he loses the race. Um, Alep, well, Alicia Spargo is released too early. Um, uh, Valentina Rossi, the, the message, the, the, uh, again, the pit board, they gave, they gave him the pit board, um, uh, too, uh, late. Too, too, yeah, too late. So he came in a lap later than he should have. Um, or two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. three. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There was just, there was just. I mean, the riders falling off. Jonas Folger again mm. uh, uh, coming in, uh, coming in his bike not being ready, and them, and then uh, him having to, you know, basically, you know, do a ride through, uh, go back out, come back in again to well, while they set his bike up. Um, uh, people misjudging, uh, gambling wrong on whether to have identical bikes or um, or, or dry and wet bikes. There was. Just so much. It was proper, proper chaos um, in in pit lane. So I think um, those those are my big losers. Everyone who got it wrong. <laughs> 
never in my wildest dreams uh, when we started this segment at the beginning of this season could I have imagined that uh, the answer to one of these questions would have just been everyone, <laughs> which is quite impressive, Dave. I'm, I'm impressed at your ability to kind of seg that. Uh, or, or my ability not, or my inability to make a choice for one person, but... Get off that fence, <laughs> you know. Okay, well, you say everyone, and you, you touched on this already. I'm going to go with the Ducati team because um, it wasn't just one rider had, uh, you know, a bad strategy. It was both their riders. Um, they basically didn't have either Davizio's or Lorenzo's bike ready on time. Uh, Lorenzo really, you know, showed in, uh, in morning warm-up and early on in the race that he had the pace to, you know, challenge for the podium. Um it wasn't just that they didn't have his bike ready, but they sent out the communication on his dashboard to come in earlier than they should have done. That was a mistake on their part. And uh, yeah, they, they basically just uh, made a bit of a horlicks of their strategy and uh, and deprived, well, certainly the range of a good result. Uh, Davizio's managed to sort of uh, uh, to salvage something. Uh, and indeed, his pace in the second part of the race was really good. But even then, he said that um, you know his bike wasn't fitted with the the right tire compounds. Uh, they, they made a mistake with you know the, with the dry bike when they eventually did set it up. You know, they probably should have gone with another tire choice, uh, other than I think the medium medium which he which he left pit lane on. I think he en- ended up racing the soft. Um, the, he needed the medium, but um, right, okay. they, they just totally the wrong tires on there. Yeah, and it was after. I mean, the if the uh, aerodynamics fairing is a stroke of genius. Um, uh, yeah, their their strategy was a complete mess. Yeah. Yeah, sure. For want of a better phrase. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. So I don't think I can compete with your uh, everyone is a loser, but uh, <laughs> that is my two cents on the, on the loser of this weekend. Okay. Which pretty much brings us to the end of this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast, uh, which covered the uh, the Czech Grand Prix. Um, many thanks for listening, uh, dear listener. We hope you've enjoyed this and uh, we have missed you. Uh, bringing these, uh, these dulcet tones to your ears uh, over the summer break. We're very happy to be back. And with, I think, what is it, eight races, nine races and 15 race weekends, uh, you're going to be hearing a lot more of us in the future as well. Uh, so I'd like to offer my uh, my deepest gratitude to, to David Emmett uh, for joining us. David, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I've got to add is to thank Suzuki for sponsoring the Paddock Pass podcast and to ask you all to go out and check out the all-new GSX-R 1000s because it's a fairly awesome bike. Yes, David is a way to uh, to basically pour some grease down the inside of his dundle so he <laughs> so can, can get out of it and can, sleep. Yes, he can squeeze out of it and breathe again. He's basically been, uh, his lips have been turning blue while we've been sitting recording here. And uh, to be fair, the choice of a latex dundle was probably the wrong one. <laughs> exactly, with the br- the bright flashing lights. Uh, I told you not to, not to go with that one, but anyway, you wouldn't listen. Uh, Where do I put my batteries? <laughs> yes. And it's probably as good a time as any to remind you, dear listener, that uh, that you can follow us on uh, on social media. We uh, we have a Twitter account, at Paddock Pass Pod. We also have a Facebook account, and that is at Paddock, that's facebook.com forward slash Paddock Pass Podcast. And... If you're listening to us via iTunes, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave a review because it greatly helps other listeners find the show. We'll be back next week um, reflecting on the second running of the Austrian Grand Prix in this uh, in this century. Um, thank you again for, uh, for listening to the show and we'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Top work, man. Back to back. Sick, back to back, dope.
dope. Sick back to back Sif. Yeah. Yeah. 